Welcome to the We Talk Health podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Kashagro. I'm going to be your host today. And today we are at the GYN Specialist Clinic in North Jackson, Tennessee. And I am joined today by Dr. Jeff Ball, Amy White, and Lori Smith. Uh, Lori, how about you go ahead and introduce everyone? Great. Thanks, Will. Like Will said, we are at our newest clinic with West Tennessee Medical Group, our GYN Specialist where we have Dr. Jeff Ball, Dr. Don Wilson, and Amy White, nurse practitioner. And today on the podcast, we have Dr. Ball and Amy White. And Dr. Ball and Amy, I'd love for you just to tell me about your new clinic. Tell our listeners the atmosphere and kind of what the feel is here in the clinic, because it is pretty unique, and um, I want people to hear about it. This is Women's Health Month. We're recording this in Women's Health Month, but we're going to talk about some issues for women's health that women have all year round. So you may hear this podcast in May, you may hear this in later in the summer in June or July, but uh, women's health issues happen all year round. So we're going to talk about issues that women may have at any point in the year. So this podcast will be relevant. So uh, Amy, Dr. Ball, tell us a little bit about this new clinic. Well, thanks for having us. We're excited about uh, what we're doing and the opportunity to share that and, and to discuss things that are important. Uh, two women. Our clinic started in uh, early April, maybe not the best time in the world to start a uh, clinic in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, but we have been really excited about it. And it's a gynecology-focused clinic. We see patients who are early in pregnancy and so forth, but we do not manage their pregnancies anymore. Dr. Wilson and I did obstetrics, and Amy helped us for 25 years. And we just had a real desire to establish a gynecology-only clinic where we're just emphasizing the things that are important to women in a non-pregnant situation which is uh, the majority of their lives. And so things have become really complex in both obstetrics and gynecology, as well as in a lot of fields of medicine. And so we, we wanted to just hone in and focus on the area of gynecology only. So we're thrilled that West NC Healthcare has partnered with us with the vision that we had. And, and so our office on 379 Hospital Boulevard is new to us, and we've been able to fix it up and, and had a really fun time just starting from scratch uh, practice and so um, we're excited about patients coming, seeing us, and establishing new relationships with other providers and new patients we hope to see and help. That's kind of what we're doing. Amy, what about you? Can you tell us from your perspective how this practice is different from what you've done in the past? Well, I think from what I've done in the past, it's basically the same. The thing that is different for me in this particular practice is just the intimacy of this office. I think it's important that patients, when they walk in the door, they see the same person that they made their appointment with. And I think the continuity that you're going to find in this clinic is important. You're going to see the same nurses each time. Those are the people you're going to talk to on the phone. And I just think it's just a more intimate setting. And I think that's important for women. And we've had patients comment on that, even just in the, in the near term. It's, it's, it's very easy to get in and out. And the atmosphere is very light and bright, maybe not the right word, but it's just open and it's airy. And you just get a real sense of not only feeling welcome, but just... Almost like family. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. And so uh, 
Uh, we've got some beautiful artwork from Dr. Wilson's wife, who's just done an amazing job. And so we're just really excited about it. It's really, it's a different feel and we're motivated to really provide excellence in women's health care in an environment that women feel comfortable and know that we really do care about them personally uh, and their families. And, and so I think it's um, going to have a good impact in our community. Well, it really is a beautiful setting, and you guys have done an amazing job. And from a woman's perspective, coming into the clinic, it does have that homey feel. There's a killer coffee bar that they didn't mention <laughs> when you come in that you can make yourself at home and get an iced cup of coffee as you wait. Then as you come back into the patient rooms, I mean, the artwork is just beautiful and just that beautiful setting. And so it's almost like a destination. And I know this is not always, for some people, not an appointment that you necessarily look forward to. So I think just taking those extra details and those extra steps to make women feel comfortable in those vulnerable moments when they may not be excited to come see their provider, I think that shows that that you guys really do care about your patients, so even in just those little touches. So, well, let's get into some women's health issues. I know that just among my friends, I have passed the point, I mean, maybe not necessarily an age, but of having children, so I'm kind of past the OB stage, so I am really am in the phase of my life where I'm just in the GYN stage, and some of my friends will say, well, I haven't had my exam in a couple of years. So can you speak to that and how do you feel about that? Should women have their exams on a yearly basis? I'm very, I, I have mine every single year. That is something that I never miss. Um, I think it's very important that I know some women just either dread it or they have been told that they don't have to have it every year. So can you Talk to us a little bit about that. And if you think that's sure. important, why that's important? Sure. Yeah, I think Amy and I and Don are all in agreement that we think an annual gynecology exam is really important for a woman's health. There's a lot of things that go on just beside the exam itself in terms of discussing things that are going on in a woman's life that maybe she might not discuss with her primary care provider or some other provider that she might see. And so I think women have to deal with so much. I mean, and even women in their childbearing years are not you know, the most of the time they're still not pregnant and, and they have issues that are going on and things at home that are impacting how they feel, uh, whether it's issues, hormonal issues, whether it's stress, whether it's relationship issues with their spouse or, or partner, whether it's discomfort they're having uh, after their deliveries or, you know, just a whole myriad of things. And certainly uh, as women age, things transition and change, but those needs are just as important, whether it's dealing with things that are difficult to talk about, such as urinary incontinence or pelvic pressure from pelvic prolapse or, or things like this. All of those things can be addressed at an annual G1 exam. And oftentimes, patients may not have symptoms that they know about, and then things are identified on an exam. Uh, and so we think it's really important. It used to be in a woman's mindset of, if, if I wasn't getting a pap smear, there's really no reason for me to go to their, to their gynecologist or, or women's provider. But, but that's really not true. I mean, there's just a lot of things that, that need to be evaluated and addressed, be it from a breast exam or, as I mentioned, all the other things that were, were discussed. So I think it's important that uh, we, we usually do not do cervical cancer screening, pap smears, every visit, every year. That has changed over the last 20 years. But it doesn't mean that it's, you know, when you tell a patient, hey, you don't actually have to have a pap smear for three years in their 20s, for example, that doesn't mean you don't come back for three years. It means you come back in a year and we'll talk about, you know, whether it's contraception or, or whatever the issue may be for you. And so I think it's really vitally important. It's been somewhat de-emphasized in some circles over the need for an annual, particularly an annual pelvic exam. But we're of the opinion that in most women, 
a physical exam and, and usually including a pelvic exam is really important because there's a lot of information that can be gained and, and screening can be done and things like this. And we understand it's intimate and it can be, as you say, not exactly looked forward to, but we try to create the atmosphere such that one, you know that we're here for you, that you trust us, we're on your side, we're here to help you and do what we can to make your life better. I think it's really important. And I think I agree with you. I think it's very important. And I think too, the psychological aspect that you talked about is so important because as a busy mom myself, it's nice to have somebody to listen to me. And also, I think from the exam standpoint, there are things during a gynecological exam that you're not necessarily going to get at your primary care physician's office. You know, we're, we're checking your thyroid. We're listening to your heart and lungs. We're looking at your skin, your back, you know, places that you don't normally see. You know, there's things that can be identified outside of the gynecological aspect. So, and I think it's important that if you're of the age for mammograms or you have a family history of breast cancer and we need to start mammograms early, I think it's important that they come in for that and let us help get those appointments scheduled and get other screening things like colonoscopies and DEXA scans and labs if needed, go over medications with you to make sure that things don't interfere and that, you know, this may be causing some of your issues that you're having. I think it's important to look at the whole patient, the whole picture. And in that exam, that's when it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think too, with the just explosion in uh, understanding of genetics and and things like that, that sometimes it's not certainly on every patient, but there can be family history issues that can be teased out and kind of go, oh, well, you know, you may be at risk, at higher risk than the average woman for breast cancer. And well, should we talk about genetic testing for that? Is that appropriate? Um, and in some women it is, and in some women it isn't. But uh, oftentimes that can be overlooked. And, you know, there are issues that are coming to light are important. <clears throat> when we talk about mammograms, uh, an issue of breast density that's come to light in terms of the uh, slight limitations of mammography in women who have dense breasts versus women whose breasts are not dense by radiological interpretation. It's not a disease. Breast density is not a disease. It's just a description of what a woman's breast looks like on mammography. But in those women who have dense breasts who are receiving mammographies, I think it's important to understand that they need to have their lifetime risk of breast cancer assessed so that it can be determined, well, okay, you have dense breast, and yes, we understand that with mammography, there may be a slight decrease in the ability to pick up real small early breast cancers compared to women whose breasts are not dense. Are you a candidate for having yearly breast ultrasound added to your breast screening or yearly even breast MRI? And the answer is, it depends. If your lifetime risk for breast cancer is over 20% by some validated breast cancer risk assessment tools, then yeah, you become a candidate for that. Now, that doesn't answer the question of who's going to pay for it, and we have to kind of work through that issue. And oftentimes, insurances are coming around to covering those things. But I think those are just little things that, that I think are important and may be missed with just kind of blowing off their, you know, the annual breast exam along with the pelvic exam. So I'm in total agreement with Amy that, you know, the the more we can spend time talking to patients and learning what's going on in their life and and, and not everything is necessarily physical. You know, some of the complaints may be because of what's going on at home or circumstances that have happened in the past, whether it's abuse or whatever else that, you know, a lot of people are not comfortable talking about and no slap at primary care providers, but oftentimes they've got other issues they're addressing. And so that kind of gets you know, if you don't take the time to ask the question, the patient may not be volunteering it. So anyway, those are just things that I think emphasize the need for a yearly female gynecologic exam, that it's not just you're walking in, having a pelvic exam and breast exam and walking out the door. There's there's a whole lot of 
information and discussion and thought process that's going into, okay, who is Miss Jones and, and what's going on in her life and what's her family situation and, and um, you know, what are her needs? What are her wants? So we try to address those or at least be willing to listen to the things that are important to them. While they may not get completely handled at one particular visit, it can lead to a follow-up visit uh, a little later and, and then let's talk again and let's, let's reassess what's going on and what can we do to help you uh, to make your life better. So clearly you do the annual visits and you you follow your patients. So tell me about some specialized things that you guys do. I know that you do some hormone replacement therapies. There's some robotic surgery that you do. And and just kind of an overview, just so our listeners can get kind of a full spectrum of the services that you offer here at the West Tennessee Medical Group GYN Specialist Clinic. You know, in terms of hormonal therapy, obviously women that are in, in their younger years, they're often ovulating regularly and, and, and having regular menstrual cycles, and, and those are not women that necessarily need extra evaluations for that. But there are other women who, who have um, decreased interest in intercourse or, or arousal that are issues for them that are important. Certainly as women age and go through menopause, there can be the significance of menopausal symptoms, hot flushes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, emotional lability, fatigue, a lot of things like that that are important. And depending upon maybe their family, their mom said, oh, just, you know, deal with it and you'll, you'll get over it. You know, well, that's not really the right answer. There are options that are available for women that can include whether it's, you know, oral therapy, transdermal therapy, or even what's called subdermal therapy or pellet therapy. And there's Certainly a big explosion in, in a lot of communities for, quote, hormone clinics and so forth, and I'm not here to downgrade those at all necessarily except to say that I would encourage women to make sure that the people that are, that are making the evaluations and recommendations are people who are really qualified to do so, meaning that you know, they just didn't go off on a weekend course and get a little certificate from some organization that nobody's ever heard of and then start prescribing hormones. I mean, we, we have gone through as gynecologists, and Amy is a women's health nurse practitioner. She's not just a, a family nurse practitioner, which are great, but she has specified training in women's health nurse practitioner. You know, we've spent extra time, a lot of which includes female endocrinology, female hormonal things. And so I think it's important that the, that the people you're getting information and advice from are people who have an expertise in that area and can really provide hopefully good advice. You know, the other issue you mentioned, something uh, some, something that we do a lot of, Dr. Wilson and I particularly because we're, we're gynecologic surgeons, is, is you're very active and passionate about minimally invasive gynecologic surgery so that if you're needing a surgical intervention from a gynecologic perspective, the most important aspect from our perspective is is that can this procedure be done in a minimally invasive fashion? What we mean by minimally invasive fashion is is smaller incisions, which ideally, if the technique is good, leads to you know shorter hospitalizations, more outpatient type of care, less pain, quicker recovery to normal activity, uh, things like that. And so we've both really developed our expertise in uh, robotic surgery, which sometimes people look at the concept of robotic surgery and they think, oh my gosh, you know, I've got a robot that's operating on me and, and, and we have to dispel the idea that uh, we're not the ones doing the surgery, when in fact, obviously we are. The robotic technology is really just a tool that tell people can either drive a Yugo or the basic vehicle, or you can drive more of a Rolls Royce. And we look at the robotic technology, and at least in our opinion, as more of a Rolls Royce type technology, meaning that you you may still get the same destination. You may, if you need a hysterectomy for whatever reason, you may get there by having a, an old school type of open procedure where you have an incision, a big incision on your tummy and you're in the hospital a couple of days and so forth. Or, you know, you can have an outpatient surgery done the same day and, and your recovery is more like two weeks with small incisions, little keyhole incisions on your tummy. And so 
there's just a lot of things that can be done minimally invasively, and we've, we've really pushed ourselves to develop our skills so that we can offer that to the overwhelming majority of our patients and are getting really excellent outcomes. And so we're, we're pretty passionate about that, that you know, if this was my mom or my daughter or my wife, you know, would I want big incision on her tummy or would I want somebody who's using small incision uh, minimally invasive techniques to help her get better quicker? And so if you're being offered a particular procedure and they're talking about a, a big incision or whatever else, you may want to at least get another opinion. There are some circumstances in which that is the appropriate route in the, in the necessary procedure. But today there are numerous, numerous procedures that can be done minimally invasively. And so we're really excited about that as well. So really, I mean, you guys just offer such a wide array of services here at the clinic for women. So I would encourage any of our listeners, if you're not already established with um, one of our providers, to call. And can you give us the number to call the clinic? Sure. It's 731-660-3344. I'd also like to speak for a second. Uh, We talked about hormone replacement therapy. We talked about surgery. We do have state-of-the-art ultrasonography in-office hysteroscopy. Uh, We can do leaps in the office if we're managing abnormal pap smears. But we also can cater to the younger, even I I love seeing adolescent girls that have problems with their periods. I think I want their their family members to feel like this is a safe place for them to come. You know, college kids that need birth control. So we can cover the gamut is what I think is important for people to know. So while we have fabulous surgeons, we can still help keep you from getting pregnant or try to help you get pregnant. So I think, you know, even just every every age is is what we're focusing on here. Yeah, I want to emphasize that too. Amy does an awesome job. I mean, she's she's not, quote unquote, a pediatric gynecologist, but she does a lot of pediatric gynecology. And obviously, Dr. Wilson and I are available for any, any questions that might fall outside her realm of expertise, but she does an incredible job. And the girls and, and women that come to her are thrilled with the care she provides and are, and are loyal because to her because she does such a great job for them. So I would agree with that and reinforce that idea that we think we have a lot to offer. So what age would you recommend for girls to start having exams and to start seeing a provider? Well, that's a loaded question because the guidelines tell us age 21 for pap smears. That doesn't necessarily mean that your 15-year-old is not having painful periods where she's missing school. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't happen. We can fix that. And so that doesn't necessarily mean an exam, but it does mean coming in and talking to one of us about it and trying to find the best plan of care for that patient. So, but to answer your question, age 21 for gynecological exams. And if they start onset of sexual activity, which we're not encouraging at a too early of an age per se, but if that's occurring, then I think it's reasonable to certainly come in and be evaluated. And there's also the issue that sometimes often gets discussed with pediatricians, but I think we're another location in which this is important, and that's vaccination against human papillomavirus. The idea of the vaccine, as with any vaccine, of course, is is you, you want to get vaccinated before you're exposed to whatever it is you're getting vaccinated against. And so when the Gardasil is the trade name for the most common vaccine that's used for human papillomavirus, and it contains, used to be just four uh, HPV types, it's now been expanded to to many more. But people were concerned about, does it last very long? And is it going to cause other side effects and all these other things? And honestly, it's very, it's been well studied. It's very safe. It is a three-shot vaccine where you get a shot, two months later, you get the second shot, and then four months from the second shot or six months from the first one you get your last shot. And it appears to work, as far as we can tell, lifelong, but it it really does help reduce 
the incidence of cervical cancer. And what often is, is missed is that, okay, say I have been sexually active before and I've been exposed to one or more types of human papillomavirus, then why do I need the vaccine? Well, you may have been exposed to some, sure, but there may be some HPV types in the vaccine that you have not been exposed to, and it can provide protection there. But even on HPV types in which you've been exposed, it appears that the vaccine helps reduce your incidence for cervical precancer cells, what we call cervical dysplasia, so that the ins- even though it would seem like that wouldn't make sense, but it, it actually in practice or in reality does make an impact. And so I encourage women, young women, to consider HPV vaccine, even if they've already been exposed to HPV through previous sexual contacts. It originally was recommended for ages 9 through 26, but now that has been expanded from age 9 to 45. And so I'm offering that to my patients who are beyond the age of 26 and saying, hey, listen, I think it's reasonable. It's your decision, of course. Here's some information for you to read. And if you would like for us to initiate this, we're happy to do so. But I think that is something particularly in the adolescent group as well that is a general health issue that I think is really, really important. And while we would like to think that, well, you know, our daughter won't get it. It is a reality that cervical cancer and precancer cells occur because of an infection. So this is one of the few cancers that we know of that is actually caused by an infection. So 99.9% of all cervical cancers, and that number may not be exactly right, but basically the, the emphasis is super high percentage get cervical cancer from human papillomavirus. And so if we can provide a vaccine for, for women at an early age to help reduce their chances of cervical cancer, it is definitely worth it. Cervical cancer is not a type of cancer that you want. Certainly it can be treated in early stages, but advanced stage cervical cancer is a, is a real unfortunate event for a patient and, uh, and their family. So I think that's something to, to, to be mindful of as well. Great. Well, this is a wonderful conversation. I think this is just the beginning. I know that we've got several other topics that we will continue in our podcast series. So our listeners, stay tuned for more from our GYN specialists with the West Tennessee Medical Group. In the meantime, if you have any specific topics that you would be interested in hearing more about from our providers, please email us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com. That's wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your feedback and know any specific topics you are interested in knowing more about. And uh, we will get our experts on the microphones to talk about those. So thank you, Amy, and thank you, Dr. Ball, for being with us today. And we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you very much for having us. Really appreciate it.